0: Welcome, fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. And with me today is your MEC Chairman, Will McQuillan, your negotiating committee chairman, Chris Gruner, and Strategic Planning Chairman Ronan O'Donohue. Hi, gentlemen, thanks for joining me again.
1: Thanks, David. Thanks, David.
0: Well, we're a good month into the new year of 2021, so I brought you three in to talk about what has been happening and, and what folks can look forward to in the near term. Will, why don't you start us off with the the work, the recent work of the MEC?
1: Great. Yeah, thank you, David. I did want to take just a, a moment and update uh, the pilots on the work the MEC has been doing. And then, of course, uh, as with every State of the Union podcast, we do address a few current events and uh, concerns that are on everybody's mind. So uh, in particular, we'll talk about today, I think the San Francisco base um, updates on that, COVID vaccines and concerns the pilots have uh, echoed and um, that we brought to the company's attention, some issues with training and EIL recalls, and then uh, of course, talk about what we know about the next position bid. So uh, to recap more specifically what we've been doing, the MEC wrapped up their first regular meeting of the year recently back in, in January. It was a good, productive meeting and heavily focused on strategic planning, like that first meeting always is, and it looking at the year ahead. And we also had the opportunity to have some candid conversations with uh, Captain John Ladner, Shane Tackett, and Jenny Wetzel about a number of issues, as well as ex- express our frustrations on a few issues that touch the pilots every day. Um, as I hinted above, we'll talk about the San Francisco base. We talked about that with them a little bit more on that. Uh, we also talked about the frustrations with training for the EIL pilots who are being recalled and the ongoing struggles with company CBA compliance on a day-to-day basis that, uh, that actually led to several follow-on meetings. But as I said, a lot of the meeting was about looking forward, just like we said in the video at the end of the year, the officer video, that we're emerging from the darkest days of this pandemic and starting to see the recovery take shape.
0: Will, that's good to hear, but can you explain what makes you say that? What gives you the confidence of the future?
1: Specifically, I think it's it's not only the fact that industry analysts are predicting that Alaska is going to emerge stronger from this pandemic than a number of, of our competitors. Um, we obviously know the company's placed its largest aircraft order ever here recently. And as we look at the trends in forward bookings, they also continue to improve. Uh, vaccine distribution, it, while kind of struggled in the beginning, is obviously continuing to improve and it's becoming more widespread. And then uh, in addition when you consider that the American-Alaska Code Share and Alliance uh, may provide that business feed, increased passenger feed and revenue as uh, the year progresses. So as we move ahead, we do see that the landscape is shaping up um, favorably and you know how we move ahead and how we navigate that landscape is governed by our strategic plan.
0: Yeah. Why don't you talk about the strategic plan, what that means for us and how it informs how we go forward?
1: Uh, yep, yeah, certainly. I mean, it was a big focus of the first uh, MEC meeting, as I said, where we did review the plan, which was first communicated to the pilots uh, back in July of 2019. And the updated plan this year was approved by the MEC, and you can look for it to be published in the future, just like we did uh, previously in the form of an executive summary. One of the things that's most important about uh, our strategic plan and that uh, we're so committed to as an MEC is the uh, continued commitment to complete and full transparency to the pilots Um, and also that we you know the foundation of the plan is based on pilot input and we're going to continue to solicit that pilot input um, incidentally through polling which will take place in late march and then also through uh, we hope direct conversations from events such as coffee sits and other unity events which is something that we've we've definitely missed during the pandemic
2: that's something that is has been quite frustrating to both you and I and the rest of the MEC is the inability for us to sit and actually have them two-way conversations, those two-way conversations with our pilots. Um, we find and we have, we have found over the course of negotiating um, and this last couple of years that that direct feedback is essential. Um, it gives us an opportunity to hear from the pilots. It gives us an opportunity to get our message out as well to make sure that we're all singing from the same sheet of music. So, I could not agree with you more. the coffee sits um as soon as it's it's safe to do so and we can get back out there. That is a huge, huge priority for us,
0: yeah, Ronan. I'm really looking forward to getting back out there too. I think it goes a long way when pilots have an opportunity to speak directly with the the leadership and the negotiating committee and and folks like that. Ronan, since you're on the strategic planning committee, why don't you give us the highlights of of what's in that strategic planning executive summary?
2: Sure. Basically, we're continuing the work of Safeguard Our Future and how it got us basically to this point. So, some of the highlights that you will read about when this is released is how that um, plan got us through the pandemic and how there was some progress, albeit not enough, on issues between labor and management. There are also some great examples of our successes when we look what happens when an efficient problem solving approach is applied towards bargaining. The obvious example of that one to pops to everybody's mind is the EIL program that was put into place during the pandemic to protect jobs. Um, unfortunately, not all issues were addressed in such a manner, and we will keep moving towards these much-needed pilot improvements and goals. And uh, the, all of these these highlights will be in there so guys can um, get some clear idea of what's been going on over the past year and our goals and objectives uh, moving towards uh, this year, 2021.
0: Chris, I'm going to turn this to you for a minute. Ronan just mentioned the constructive work that you were able to do or or the MEC was able to do with the company, but you did a lot of the the lion's share of that work. Can you talk about that a little bit, what what he means by that and how that relates to what we may or may not look forward to in the future?
3: Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of constructive work we've done over the, the last year, really, as we worked through the pandemic. And we were i um, pleased to hear the company acknowledge that on their webcast. So uh, they mentioned things such as uh, teamwork and the constructive problem solving through uh, difficult situations being kind of cornerstones for allowing us to move through this pandemic uh, successfully. So, you know, we really hope that we just continue to build on that success and don't revert to old habits and old ways of doing things. So there's opportunities right now to continue to uh, work through issues. There's uh, issues the company has, and you know we're prepared to do the hard work to move constructively through those issues right now, provided that we're also addressing pilot concerns alongside those issues. So, you know, as we begin discussing things like that and, and dealing with those concerns, we can uh, continue to to build on that and then and then move forward into the broader contract. So. Um, There's a lot of work still to be done on quality of life and job security issues. And a lot of the work on that is going to wait to be determined until we kind of start to see the the shape of the pandemic. But they're complicated issues and there's a lot of structural pieces that we can start discussing now. So that way, once the uh, recovery accelerates, we can uh, work more efficiently to finish those things up. Our contract improvements, frankly, are long overdue. So, uh, you know, we didn't have an opportunity to vote on a contract following the uh, merger of our pilot groups. And then since then, we've sailed past the amendable date on that arbitrated uh, contract. So, you know, it is important for us as we move forward to make sure that the pilots are benefiting from the success of the company. And like Will mentioned earlier, you know, we really are poised to uh, have a successful future. And, Want to make sure that uh, pilot concerns are, uh, you know, being uh, addressed as we uh, continue to grow and and the company find success.
0: Chris, you sound to me pretty confident that now is a good time to be negotiating. Is that right? Am I picking up correctly from you? And and if so, why why would you say that?
3: Yeah, you know, as we've listened to the pilots, you know, your your goals and priorities haven't changed. And we're going to do another round of polling coming up here in the end of March. And, um, you know, we'll, like Ronan said, go out and reach out and coffee sits and continue to make sure that we're, uh, hearing from you, but ultimately you guys are going to be the ones that vote to ratify a contract. And, you know, over the last several years, you've consistently stated what your goals and priorities are. So. Um, that's one piece of it is just knowing where your your heads are at and, and what your perspectives are uh, are right now. But um, the other piece is just the uh, optimism, right, that will conveyed earlier. So, yes, right now, you know, uh, we're still in a a little bit of a downturn. But as we uh, look forward, we do see things start to accelerate. You know, we see uh, optimism and, and reasons that Alaska is going to be on the top of the heap or have a lot of opportunities to be successful out of the backside of this thing. So um, all of those are, are reasons to um, make sure that we continue to uh, have confidence and optimism in the future.
1: And I might jump on that also by saying that uh, there's just no shortage of work to be done. I mean, there's obviously a lot of uh, work that needs to be done to address pilot priorities. And you've been very consistent in that, too. So uh, regardless of the timing or necessarily the landscape, there's plenty of opportunity to address concerns starting today and, frankly, starting months ago. Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And it's an interesting way to talk about what makes you feel like now is a good time is that it, it has to do with us, in other words, us being the pilot group. We've been consistent in what we've identified is important, and that hasn't changed. And so, you've got a lot of confidence that the pilot group is going to carry you through as you're working towards their goals.
3: Yeah, that's right. And you know, with any contract, right, you, you end up dealing with a lot of the structural issues up front, and a lot of things along the roads or the lines of scope and and quality of life. Those are largely structural issues, and then you discuss, you know, the uh, economic issues generally towards the end and they're not the uh, full range of the economic cost of the contract, but they do end up taking up the bulk of it. So there's a lot of room, like we said, to move the ball, continue to uh, solve problems and find out ways to uh, get this uh, contract moving in the direction it needs to go uh, before we you know, fully uh, see the shape of the recovery. In which case, then at that point, we can, like I mentioned earlier, work uh, more efficiently than to uh, wrap things up and and you know, get this pilot uh, group back on uh, the footing that it deserves to be on.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think Joe Youngerman articulated this pretty well in the officer video that came out a little while ago and that we don't want to wait until the recovery has occurred to start negotiating. By then we'll be way behind the curve. So it's important to start working on these things now so that when our company emerges from this, we will be part of that emerging benefit.
1: Yeah. We want to be where the puck is going to be. Not uh, not chasing after it, and I think that starting now uh, in addressing pilot priorities and needs is the way that we are going to be where the puck is going to be in the next six months to a year that's exactly right
0: Chris, speaking of the pilots and how you mentioned their goals haven't really changed, what are a couple of those you know on a high level that that you are feel like we should be working on right
3: now? Well, I mean, we still have a lot of, you know, issues that we were working on that we can continue to clean up. But, you know, additionally, when we're looking at some of the cornerstone pieces, um, pilots continue to be concerned about their job security as they're looking at RJs in Alaska and San Francisco. And uh, in addition, the, the One World, you know, agreement, I mean, that, you know, should should be and will likely be a positive for the company. But we need assurances that, uh, you know, these types of agreements are Uh, Beneficial to the pilot group, and again, that we're we're part of that success uh, of the company. They they you know encourage growth of the pilot group and and things along those lines. Um, You know the other piece is uh, work rules. I mean that's a very broad subject, and you know I don't think anybody on our side or the company side is uh, satisfied with how those work. So uh, there's there's still a lot of uh, room and initial conversations we could be having to continue to uh, work and make improvements on those.
0: Great, and I know that as the time marches on, we'll have more education pieces coming out on on both of those topics, so pilots can understand why they matter and and what you are working on to achieve to shore up the contract in in each of those areas, right?
3: Yeah, and I think more broadly, we'll just be uh, talking a, a bit how you know we are working to achieve their goals. So uh, I think you know the pilots intuitively understand why a lot of these things are important and have told us so. But, uh, you know, we'll just make sure that they uh, understand, you know, how the the things we're looking at achieve what they're after.
0: Yeah. And let's talk about that a little bit, too, Chris. How do you know as you move forward that you're continuing to represent the pilots and and their goals? Yeah,
3: well, you know, first of all, a lot of pilots have continued reaching out to the reps. So that's been beneficial. Also, if you remember back in October, we had another round of polling um, and we're going to do another round here in, in March. Um, additionally, we've been out talking to fourth stripe classes and, you know, reaching out to uh, pilots where we've had opportunities, even though they've been more limited. And, you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you just from what we hear, it's the same themes uh, continuing from, um, you know, before the, this downturn. So, uh, again, we'll continue to assess, we'll adjust as required. But uh, from what we're hearing right now, it, it seems that uh, everything is still on track and that uh, attitudes have not shifted
0: maybe we could spend a couple minutes talking about the value of polling as opposed to some of the other ways we gather information from the pilot group what, what do you say to, to that
3: yeah you know sometimes pilots have concerns that only a few people get uh, called but uh, the reality is is that the polling Uh, professionals we use do a fantastic job of getting several cross sections of the pilots. I mean, they look at different ages, seniority list numbers, positions, base positions, you know, gender, everything you can think of to make sure that uh, the reps have a, the LEC representatives have a solid understanding of how all those groups stack up and where their priorities are. And so, um, you you know, that way they can do a, a great job of, Then taking that information and using it to bolster what they already know or or to, you know, uh, change course is required and uh, make sure that they're staying on track with, um, again, what what it is that uh, you want them to be uh, doing.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, You know, one of the things or the ways I like to look at this is that as we move forward as an MEC, as they're making decisions about what the pilot group at large wants, it's you got to be really careful about how you determine what you mean when you say the pilot group and and that you are able to make statements that describe the the overall view of that large group and so the scientific research gathering achieves that
3: yeah and one of the ways we can tell it it does work is because when we go back to looking at the survey and then go through multiple polls where they call you know the same it's cross section of demographics, but different people, we see very, very consistent results. And so that gives us a lot of confidence that uh, it is doing the job that it's intended to do.
0: And just to put a finer point on what I was saying earlier, when you are making inferences or gathering information about an entire group through a small sample, it's really important that you know that the sample represents the entire group. And these scientific research methods employed by the University of New Hampshire do that. And as you said, Chris, we also can verify it because over time we see consistent results. I think an appropriate analogy to make is cooking a soup or a chili or something like that where you don't need to eat the entire pot to know what it tastes like. But you do need to make sure that the spoonful that you take represents the whole thing. And so the, the soup or the chili needs to be stirred so that you know that that spoonful is an
3: indicator of the whole group. Yeah, it's a very good analogy. So I think that's uh, very accurate.
0: So for as valuable as polling is, there are other important ways that we reach out to the pilot groups and how they can get in touch with their leadership. And uh, one that we've started doing recently are virtual town hall events. And Ronan, you had a lot to do with putting those together. So do you want to describe those?
2: Yeah, we we actually started them earlier on in the pandemic. We did the all pilot uh, town hall events for, um, for the whole entire pilot group. I think we did two of them, actually. And then what we've started to do is do a more local level we started with anchorage and then actually just uh, this week we did one down in san francisco this again is is just highlights my frustration with our inability to get in front of the pilots uh, in a more conventional method so right now we're just trying to be as innovative as we possibly can with doing these zoom type events and uh, to try and get some feedback that way but Actually, um, yeah, some, some issues want to come up that came up in that uh, town hall, David, if you want to go down that path.
0: Yeah, well, sure. I mean, obviously, a lot of people have questions about what's happening in San Francisco and what the future for the base holds. And Will, really, I think you're the best person to talk about that. So what do we know? What do we not know?
1: Well, it's more about what we don't know. Um, you know, what we do know is that there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty, and a lot of pilots and their families that are impacted by decisions that are being made. You know, uh, in and around the fleet, and in and around uh, a lot of how the flying gets done in California, and it impacts in particular. San Francisco is a purely Airbus base. Um, what we've heard consistently from management is that they still do not know. Um, about the, they're not in a position to make a decision about the future of the base at this time. Um, they don't have enough information, they don't have enough data. And despite rumors, unfortunately, that something has been decided in some way, shape, or form, uh, we did have the opportunity at the MEC meeting to have a very candid conversation with them uh, about the, the future of San Francisco. Um, and to be clear, yeah, they're they still evaluating, they're still waiting for firm data with which to model um, what they think it would look like in the, in the future. Um, and some of that really has to do with, I think, uh, deciding what the regional versus mainline allocation and flying, uh, that's going to happen in the Bay area will look like. Uh, we of course believe firmly that it needs to be mainline flying and a strong commitment to that in order to sustain the, the pilot base. But, uh, to be very clear, I guess on a couple of points, they have not approached us about closing the base. Uh, and as a reminder, that requires 90 days notice per the CBA. Um, they have not approached us formally about a co-terminal concept either. I think there's rumors out there about that. And uh, as I said, the biggest reason is they just don't have clarity yet on how much flying will be done, which fleet will be doing that flying, and to what degree regional lift is going be, to be part of that flying. Um, these are their own words. There just isn't enough certainty to make decisions, and that certainty is months away. And I might point out that uh, we have you know a commitment from both John Ladner and from Shane Tackett that they will not uh, you know make any decisions without reading us in early and I know that maybe the the memories of JFK and that base closure ring uh, painfully in a lot of pilots ears but we we did press them for that commitment so uh, as anxiety provoking as it is not to have a, a real answer right now at least we have a commitment from them that we will be part of the discussion um, at the meeting the mec clearly and universally expressed their concerns uh, that they too feel that we need real data to model the future with um, you know guesses lead to broken promises and, and bad outcomes for everybody and that real data and that that clarity is just not here yet so you know particularly we're looking for block hour projections that are solid uh, that include you know we can calculate the number of departures out of the uh, the san francisco and bay area we need to know which fleets or fleets will be doing that flying and uh, again, that regional piece kind of has to have some clarity to it too. And uh, when we, we do have that data, we will absolutely engage them um, in any discussions that they want to have because we are all about you know, listening and, and problem solving as long as they are focused on pilot goals. But uh, you know we did stress as well, I guess maybe the last point I'm going to make is that they need to be very clear and consistent in their messaging to the pilot group. Because uh, one of the greatest frustrations that I think the pilots in San Francisco have, have felt is that there's been rumors and inconsistent messaging that, uh, that come from various parts of the company. And, you know, that has real consequences for pilots who are trying to make life decisions.
2: That call that took place in San Francisco this week, and, and all of you guys were on that um, town hall, something that was absolutely staggering to me was the amount of RJ departures. Um, it was, I think it was Justin Albright that was briefing And he stated that there was only 12 mainline flights taking place out of San Francisco right now on average day, six in the Boeing and six in the Airbus, but there was, I think it was 36 um, are taking place in RJs. And that was just staggering to me being a former San Francisco based pilot.
0: Yeah, it's a big change, isn't it? Absolutely. Hey, well, I want to ask you something that's come up a few times. There's a lot of suggestions about what might be done in some form of uh, a co-terminal, or at least in having departures start out of different cities in the Bay Area, and as as pilots have these ideas, who should they be sharing them with?
1: Well, obviously uh, their reps. Um, we've always said and will always say, don't you know negotiate directly with the company. I'm sure the company is very very eager to try and gauge pilot enthusiasm um, in and around certain concepts and ideas, and uh, you know I think it's important that to the degree that uh, it's a conversation that pilots want to have, that needs to, to start with the MEC so that we can negotiate on their behalf.
0: Change is really made at that MEC level. And so you need to empower the negotiating committee to achieve whatever the goals are of the pilot group and, and having little one-off conversations with management actually undermines the the process. And Chris, feel free to jump in there too, if you have anything on, on that regard. Yeah. Just to give
3: everybody confidence, you know, to reiterate some of the stuff we've told you before, but you know, all these discussions that we're talking about right now have happened at the MEC meetings. You know, the reps have brought forward your concerns. They've talked carefully about them, talked about them as a group, and then uh, again, given us guidance and direction on how to proceed. So, um, just to let you know your, your voices are being heard and uh, they are being carefully considered um, as we move forward.
1: Yep, and, and I'll jump on that last point, which is just that the MEC is uh, unified in the approach that we really do wanna see concrete data and we wanna know truly what the future looks like so that we can accurately model because there are pilots lives uh, at stake here. And uh, to do anything based on a guess or conjecture is is just not in the pilot group's best interests, much less uh, certainly not in the interests of the pilots in San Francisco.
0: You know, guys, one thing I've noticed as an observer of the MEC is that all of the MEC members are concerned about what's happening in San Francisco. It may seem like a local issue. I, in a lot of ways, it is a local issue, but it is a concern of the larger body, and everyone is aware of it and concerned. And, uh, and I know the, the San Francisco reps in particular are um, making sure everyone's aware of it, but it's, it's happening on, on that larger level for
1: sure. Yes. And, and we've, we've made that point consistently that this is not just a, a San Francisco issue. This is really when it comes to fleet decisions and any pilot basing decisions, it's something that impacts every pilot here at Alaska. And so we need to not to be too um, myopically focused on just uh, one base when, when they're busy making these decisions.
0: As important as this is, and even though it affects a lot of the pilots directly, how much control do do we really have as a union to to affect what happens in basing decisions and things like that?
1: Well, I, I guess the, the brutal truth, as we've learned in JFK, is that the, the company, as long as they comply with 24J and the contract. Um, And the other provisions, you know, in and around moving days. Uh, And then there's also some training freeze language. But they do have the unilateral right to open and close pilot bases as they need to um, as part of business decisions. And, you know, we as an MEC believe that... uh, we have very, very valuable input um, that should be considered in those decisions, and we want to be a, a key stakeholder as they model and make those decisions. And we'll continue to advocate, obviously, very, very strongly for the pilots that are affected. But uh, the, you know, the sad um, reality is, is that if they wanted to move unilaterally, they are in a position to do so uh, with those contractual, um, you know, guidelines noted.
0: So, in line with speaking about fleet, what do we know about any? potential upcoming position bid?
1: Well, I think we can say with some certainty that there are more coming. Um, the company's obviously committed to a fleet transition, you know, here recently that will bring us down to a targeted number of Airbus aircraft through, I think it's about 2022 based on the, the lease returns. And that's going to require that they continue these transition bids, um, moving, you know, pilots from the the Airbus into the, the Boeing. In addition, we know that the uh, at some point, here we're going to need bids that uh, that account for the disparity between the number of captains and FOs in the Boeing equipment because we had a large number of captains obviously take the early out and the RAIL um, program. So, you know, at some point that will have to be established. So the, the bids are imminent, but what the details of them are um, is kind of a little bit in flux. I, I do believe the company has a desire to keep the, uh, the training department full and moving. Through the summer, so I would anticipate that we will see one shortly. But I really would be hesitant to characterize what it's going to to look like because we do see that as kind of a, a moving target. I, Ronan, do you have anything more that you've you've heard or seen on that?
2: No, that's that's pretty accurate. That's what um, everything is pointing towards. So that for right now, that's that's pretty much all we know.
0: So with a new bid, of course, comes a possibility that pilots might be brought back from EIL. And I know one of the things that came up in this last MEC meeting was the frustrations with how pilots had been recalled. And Chris, I know you spent a lot of time working on that. What's, what's going on lately?
3: Yeah, so the uh, training committee and uh, Garen have been working a lot with the company to, uh, you know, work with them to have the company improve the process. Um, some of the things the company's been considering is uh, providing at least 60 days of notice, so more than what's required in order to facilitate uh, better implementation of the training plan and give pilots more uh, notice of you know, the, uh, them coming back to work.
0: Chris, what kind of problems were pilots having when they were recalled?
3: You know, largely it's just, you know, pilots make plans, you expect to be gone for a, a long period of time. And then, you know, once you do get recalled and then there's a process to then get your your training uh, schedule as well. So it's just hard to plan your life once you do get that notice, um, you know, as you're waiting to see what that training footprint is going to look like and, and just trying to readjust. So, you know, these are all things that, uh, you know, we we negotiated, you know, they do have a right to recall you, but there's a, a way to make it easier on the pilots to make sure that uh, they're, they're impacted as minimally as uh, as as possible. And there's some consideration given to, uh, you know, the fact that their lives are being disrupted.
0: And do you have an expectation that they'll be better about that in the future?
3: Yeah, like I said, they're trying to push back the the, the notice there to uh, 60 days and and then uh, being more responsive to emails and, and things like that. And one of the big pieces too is the, the training plan. So um, working to try to slide that uh, further back and give pilots more notice of, um, uh, you know, what that schedule is going to look like when they do get back to work. So those are all things that, uh, you know, again, the training committee has been in constant contact with the uh, training department at the company and just uh, working to facilitate a smoother process. So um, hopefully that is uh, borne out in the future and, you know, unfortunately, we can't go back and, and make those processes better.
1: I think that part of what we learned that was truly frustrating was that pilots are telling us that from the date they got their recall letter, that was the last communication that they'd received from the company, and they had absolutely no idea of um, their training footprint, their training date, um, and uh, assurances that their seniority was being honored in terms of being able to preference that that training. Um, and then when they reached out to the company in emails and phone calls, that those calls and emails went unanswered. And that was the part that the MEC expressed uh, sincere frustration about because the, the process, as Chris said, needed improvement. And I think, honestly, it needed some some manpower added to it. And uh, we've been able to uh, have some candid conversations and at least have a commitment that going forward, we will see uh, a greater notice. We will see additional uh, personnel and a devoted uh, um, process to answering emails and phone calls moving forward and a true commitment to making sure that the, the training is not just known but the pilots have confidence that their seniority was honored in the process of uh, preferencing that training.
0: Another important issue that is on a lot of pilots minds and has been in the news lately is now that we finally have a vaccine for COVID-19 how that's being rolled out and administered to pilots and, and what the company's position is and all of that so let's talk about that for a few minutes.
1: Yeah, I think that's it's obviously timely, and I know it's on pilots' minds. Um, we did sit down. We've had uh, one brief and then one uh, a longer meeting with the company to sit down and discuss what we believe are things that they need to be aware of and consider in terms of developing a protocol for um, you know, vaccines and pilots being able to obtain the vaccine, in particular, that second uh, vaccine, since it's got kind of a, a moving target date. And uh, it can be it can straddle two different bids, for example. But um, I guess I'll back up for a second and say that while each state sets its vaccine priority list, Alpa National has been advocating, um, as has Alaska, to advance the priority of uh, pilots in the vaccine uh, queue. So you know, and that has had an impact, slight, but but not enough. Uh, we'd obviously like greater access and to be able to obtain the vaccine sooner. Um, and as i hinted we did recognize earlier that there are a number of concerns that have to be addressed and met with the the company um, when it comes to a vaccine protocol uh, to be very very clear uh, we've heard the pilots you know loud and clear for those who want to ensure that this is absolutely a choice and is not uh mandated in any way shape or form i think succinctly what i would say is that the vaccine has to be available to all but required by none and um, the the company has consistently said uh, four times personally to me at at very high levels that they have no intention of making the vaccine mandatory Um, there's obviously a a number of issues not the least of which is perhaps corporate liability to consider um, the ada concerns religious objections you know there's a lot of moving pieces to it so even though there may have been some banter uh, about it being mandatory and other um, Arenas, other airlines, that is what our management has said to us. Um, when it comes to process, we've said that pilots have to have a clear, consistent process to ensure that they can get time off for the vaccine, but especially that that second shot, which sometimes has a, uh, as availability has been in flux, that's been a, a bit of a moving target. And you don't always have control over a trip conflict with that. So the company is, is working on that process and will engage us again But it's our belief that uh, pilots must at the very least be able to use their sick leave to cover that time.
0: And well, just to be clear on that issue of choice and and the vaccination being voluntary, that is the MEC's position, correct? Yes,
1: that is. That's the MEC's position as well. And we're in lockstep. At least uh, the company has indicated that they agree with us wholeheartedly on that perspective.
0: Well, I think we've covered all of the hot topics over the last month. Um, before we close this out, anyone else have, have something they want to make sure we, we talk about?
2: Yeah, David, if you don't mind, I'll take a second here. I just want to underpin that the importance of the strategic planning that the MEC has done. And it's basically gotten us through the past year. And uh, we'll continue to guide us successfully as we continue to safeguard our future. Um, Joe Youngerman made a point on the San Francisco Town Hall that I thought was very, very valuable. And it's worth repeating and repeating to the entire pilot group. And that is that unity and pilot involvement is so, so critical. Um, it is basically, it's the horsepower under the hood. And I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that guys realize that you are your union. Um, we are elected folks and that work within this organization, but the basic basic bottom line with any union is its members and how educated they are, how informed they are, how united they are, and how they basically continue to push their issues and make sure that they're heard. So I would just do a a, a plea to our pilots as we move through 2021 and we come out the backside of this pandemic to continue what they've already done for the past two years, and that is stay involved.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, Ronan. I was just going to say it's like how I kind of closed out that San Francisco event too, that not only is the MEC deeply committed to advancing, you know, pilot priorities and and listening. Um, but the key is really that we have a, a focused, engaged pilot group and that they continue to talk to each other, look out for each other. Um, And, you know, again, as we've said, we'll be back out there Uh, presently, everybody's flying. Uh, Look for us out there is a stopgap. And then soon coffee sits and in-person LEC meetings, because it's that conversation that underpins the unity that really gives us the strength. You know, Um, the key to our success is, is unity, as you said, and it's the most important asset that we have as pilots at Alaska. And if you think about it, it's what got us through a merger an SLI, a JCBA, and all this adversity that we uh, we face kind of on a daily basis, and certainly in the last year. And it's also what's going to get us through the current issues um, at hand. And most importantly, it's what's going to help us achieve your goals as we move forward in the year.
0: Yeah, I think all that is important. And another component of that unity is our family members. And as we get a little further down the road in the negotiating process, it will become increasingly important, I think, that our family members understand what the pilot group is working to achieve, why it matters, and how we're going to achieve that. So I encourage everyone listening to this to start sharing the communications that are coming from your MEC with your family member and make sure that they know what matters to you and and what is um, about to happen with the negotiations. I, I think that's really valuable. And we're working on ways to get information out to them as well. We've, a little bit like the town halls, we've started doing a few um, virtual meetings with family awareness groups. So look for some of those coming. And if you have any questions, reach out to us. Either you can email me directly at david.campbell at alpa.org or alacoms at alpa.org. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me once again and the work you're doing and in communicating all of this to to everyone.
1: Thank you very much, David, always.
0: Yeah,
3: take care. Appreciate it, David.
0: Well, you've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. Thank you for listening.